business success usually comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. Join RVK for the award-winning RV on Business Show every Tuesday at 12 midday. It's not about thinking out of the box. There is no box. Only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to 101.9 High FM. It's 12 minutes past 12, and thank you so much for joining us once again. We've been discussing quite heavy topics the last couple of weeks about the, you know, the great economic scenario around the world, what's happening, how that's going to impact on your investments. But one thing that I was quite intrigued to see when the news release came through was that something that I maybe I overlooked is the day-to-day management of how a family deals with what's going on. The world has changed. Where we were a year ago and where we are today are two different places. Um, the way we operate, the speed at which we operate, the things that we accept and the things that have become normal, we did not even know existed a year ago. And with that, things had to have to change when it comes to finances, when it comes to budgeting. And then I'm talking about the family. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome David, uh, Daryl Coker, who is a financial consultant at Citadel. Daryl, welcome to High FM. Thanks, Avi. Good to be with you and good to, uh, happy day to your listeners. Great. Thank you. Though it's, it's tough out there. Things have changed. Kids are at home. Kids are at school. We're at work. We're not at work. But yet life still goes on. The bills need to be paid. But yet the dynamics have really, really changed. Um, maybe it's just in the aesthetics and the externality as to how we perceive things. Because the reality is that things still have gone on. Bonds need to be paid, car new installments, education, medical aid. But yet the fundamentals of financial planning within the family, I think, are more significant now than they were before. So let's start with the one. With the, the, you've put down four principles of honesty, communication, budgeting, and joint financial goals. We'll get to them in each one at its time. But let's start with the first one, honesty. You know, often we think we just take it for granted. But how does honesty within a couple, within a family unit, play out now more significantly than before? Yeah, thanks, Avi. I mean, um, it's very, very interesting that that financial planning often comes to a head when there's when there's a life-changing event, you know, a divorce, a marriage, uh, birth of a child, um, you know, buying a house, you know, you know, those kind of things. Often, uh, people then turn to their financial planning, and and the pandemic is no different. Um, you know, the fact that this is definitely a life-changing event, it's like a war. You know, so at the end of the day, it's a great time for for people to sit down um, and actually start looking at their finances uh, to make sure that their planning is on track. Because you're right, times have changed. Uh, coupled with that, uh, we end up in a situation where we've got a lot more time on our hands because there's no more running around fetching kids from all over the place because generally we just have to fetch them from their bedroom. So, so we end up right. having a reasonable amount of time. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, uh, it is a good time to assess finances. So when we're talking about honesty as, as one of the key principles in, in coupled financial planning or plan, financial planning for couples, you know, it's obviously a critical point to, to make. You know, um, we kind of, uh, kind of live our lives and, 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 most of the time these days, both parents are working. Uh, generally, most of them are working in different environments. So you end up uh, in an environment where you've got a CEO, for example, and potentially uh, a school teacher. Okay, income levels are very, very different. Um, and and it's very, very important for for you know the, the couples to sit down and be honest with each other about uh, their financial situations. 
you know, people getting married slightly, slightly later in life, which often means they come into marriages or relationships with debt. Um, and it's, and it's critical that the, you know, the two people actually sit down together and, and start talking about, you know, A, how much they earn, um, you know, B, how much debt comes along with, with that situation. Um, just to make sure that the other person isn't in for a surprise down the line. You know, um, often when you talk to people that have got, uh, you know, when you talk to, to clients that, that talk to them about financial planning for them and their spouses, um, Many of them say, no, no, I don't, I don't want my, my spouse to know what I've got because they're worried that the spouse potentially might take, take advantage of, of their current situation in respect of their, uh, of their, of their wealth, you know. Um, so they end up sort of being quite closed, closed cards, uh, and, and that's not ideal. At the end of the day, you know, if you're going to want to build a, a life together, um, irrespective of, of who earns what, it is important to make sure that, uh, you know, the two of you have an honest and open uh, conversation around that. And I've always said that, you know, if, you know, it's a great time to, to actually go to a restaurant, to, um, have a glass of wine and actually talk around finances the same way you would talk about all the other stuff. You know, make an appointment with yourself, uh, and your spouse once a month to actually talk around the finances and just see what's going on because it can go pear shaped quite quickly. Now, Daryl, something that I learned very early on is that it's not really a one shape or one size fits all. You know, one would think, okay, we're getting married and therefore we're going to join resources and everything will be open and transparent and we'll have one family bank account, et cetera, et cetera. And then you hear of families that run with two family bank accounts and I pay for this and he or she pays for that. And the first time I heard that person, I thought, well, how the hell does that work? And then you start working with people who've been married for or been in relationships for many years. And it does work. And what I found that there isn't actually one size fits all. Like if you don't do it this way, you're going to end up in divorce or you're going to end up on the rocks or this thing is going to explode. Um, I, I, I think it's a case of working within different norms for different couples. But the truth still rings the same is that the honesty needs to be there. If you are putting away 50% of your salary to some secret slush fund that your spouse has no idea about, well, then fundamentally you've got a problem in your in your relationship. Yeah, spot on. I mean, you've, you've got it ex- exactly right. I mean, the amount of times we've engaged with clients and they've all got different philosophies on how they run their, their personal finances day to day. So you're right. I mean, a very good friend of mine, actually, him and his wife, similar occupations. Um, they've got a very simple philosophy. Uh, you know, my money's my money and yours is yours. We'll split every single expense down the middle and we'll contribute to that. And at the end of the month, if I've got money left, that's great. If you don't, it's, it's tough luck. You know, I mean, I remember I actually phoned him and said, you want to go play golf? And he said, oh, geez, the money's a bit tight at the moment. So I said, okay, that's fine. My wife had phoned his wife. They'd gone out for lunch. And I said, well, I thought money was tight. He said, no, 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 my money's finished. Your, hers isn't. So at the end of the day, there are horses for courses and, and it's just, Different people have different views, and that's even more reason why you need to be open and honest because there's no set way of doing it. Um, and in fact, when you start having children, that complicates things even more because um, now the extra expenses come in, and you know, it's books and stationery and, and school bags and school clothes and stuff like that. Very difficult to split down the line. You know, you, you're at the shop, and and uh, your, your child, if your children are anything like mine, would say, "Oh, yeah, by the way, Dad, I need this book for tomorrow." Um, so you're there, you buy it, whatever. I mean, do you come home? Do you say, listen, um, I, sorry, love you, owe me nine rand because the book was 18 rand. <laughs> it becomes difficult um, to actually manage those kind of things. But in saying that, couples do make it work. And, and at the end of the day, um, yes. there's, right, there's no right or wrong. You need to sit down and make it work within 
the parameters and within the regime that, that you guys are comfortable with as a couple. Daryl, talking about making it work, we need to run to the shops quickly. Please don't go anywhere or run and get a drink of water quickly. Craig, please take us to the ads. We'll be back in a moment. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. This is RV on Business. Welcome back to 101.9 Hi FM. And before we get back to business, I just want to let you know that there are those of us who are in the very worst of times. In the, sorry, there are those of us who are in the very worst of times step in and help. And these people have stepped in to assist us. And when life has stopped and life was really, really difficult. And they are the cemetery workers, the men and women of the Hebra Kedisha Jewish Helping Hand and Burial Society. Over the last year, their service was more essential than ever. They are the unsung heroes, and we want to change it. Zion Adar, the seventh of Adar, is a day on which the community traditionally acknowledges and appreciates the service of our cemetery workers. This year, you can help honor our heroes by sending them a happiness or sending them happiness in a box. Shabbat meals and a gift for Shabbat, the 19th of February, the Shabbat of Zion Adar. So, in other words, 17th of the 7th of other will fall out on a Saturday. On our heroes, our heroes are sponsoring a box or part of a box. For details, go to our website. It's www.chaifm.com. On our hero, our heroes in the Chaifm community initiative. I think personally that is a great idea, especially on Zion Adar, which is the birthday and the Yotzat, the passing of, of Moshe Rabbeinu, of Moses. Um, it's really one of those times where we really remember those who are there for us in the most trying of times, those who are there behind the scenes, and those who are often you know, invisible. We don't see them and we don't really acknowledge them at times. And now is the time to really make good and, and honor those people. But coming back to financial planning, Dale Coker, uh, thanks so much as Viresi partner at Citadel. So we've spoken about honesty and we all understand how that works and we've discussed the the different ramifications in different different families. But I don't think you can be honest unless you communicate. So when you turn around to your significant other and say, what are you upset about? Um, you know, I find that it's often the case, well, what am I upset about is that I don't know what's going on. So it would be nice if you just put things on the table. I know you're busy at work, but where do we actually stand in area A, B, and C? So at least I know what's going on. No matter what the picture is, I just would like to be formed. So communication is important. Daryl? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, sorry. You've got it right there. I mean, it's, it's vital for, for, for couples to communicate. And, and also what, what we need to keep in mind is that, as I've mentioned before, you know, many couples are, have a variety of backgrounds. So example I'll use again is that the CEO versus the, the teacher. Um, you know, you've got, you've got this person that's sitting in finance meetings pretty much from dusk till dawn, um, with the FD trying to fight his way through the billions in his business, um, or her business. Let's not be too careful there. Um, and, um, you've got, you've, on the other side, you know, they get home and, 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 uh, they've got another person on the other, on the side where, where they're not as finan- financially, um, prudent as, as potentially the CEO would be. So, you know, when you're talking to each other, it's, 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 critical to to actually put things uh, to each other that you each understand. So the, the teacher, uh, male or female, talking back to the CEO, says, look, you know, 
got this kind of money. It's, it's pretty simple. It's going to buy me the following things. And, you know, that's kind of where I'm at, you know, and, and similarly, um, you know, on, on the other side where the CEO then has a chat back to the teacher, you know, in a situation to say, well, you know, to bring it down to their level that they fully understand um, the, the communication roles and, and actually how to, to manage finances. So when they talk investments, they're going to realize that they're not speaking to someone that's fluent in you know, EBITDA and, and stuff like that. You know, they, you know, it's, it's important that they, they pitch it correctly because that'll open the lines of communication significantly more that they both feel comfortable that A, they're being heard and, and B, that, you know, they're being understood with regards to their, their personal financial planning and not talking really uh, budgeting day to day stuff because that's pretty simple. But when you start getting into a little bit more complicated things, and, and I will touch on that later with regards to investment selections and how to invest and where to invest, uh, it's important that, that both parties are, are fully, uh, you know, aware and fully understand um, how and what the money is is doing um, to make sure that they can meet the objectives at the end of the day. Nadal, something that I've often been um, humbled by is when somebody comes, you know, sits in front of you with a profession that's not financially related, as you said, a teacher, and um, you sometimes dumb down things overly and you come across almost condescending. And then it hits you on the side of the head like a sledgehammer that you're sitting in front of a very clever, very with it person who's dedicated their lives to teaching primary, high school, or whatever it is. And you're sitting in front of a highly intelligent, highly with it individual. All you need to do is convey the information in a way that is understandable to someone who's not afraid with sophisticated terminology in the financial sphere. And you'll be surprised as to the level of engagement that you're going to get. And you might get practical examples. You might get practical experiences as, as to how to do things that you had never thought about because you were overly complicating it. And here's someone who's been running the family budget on the back of a, I don't know, a, 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 a pad of paper brilliantly for the last 20 years, never gone over, never bounced a check, and knows exactly what's going on. And all you had to do is just ask them for their advice and you'd be surprised as to the value that gets added. Yeah, you're spot on, Adi. I mean, I, I use the teacher example because I'm actually an ex-teacher myself. So, you know, it's kind of <laughs> close to home. So I do understand that, you know, um, the ramifications of that. But you, you're exactly right. I mean, remember, those people have survived and they have managed their things in, in a prudent way. So, you know, one can't discount the fact that whether you're a teacher or, a, uh, you know, an administrator in an engineering firm or whatever the case might be, these people still have good ideas on how to run their own money, you know. Um, and, and I think it's important that that someone that works with money often, uh, you know, in those kind of relationships opens up and listens because you could actually pick up a fair amount. You know, sometimes you, you're too close to the action to actually understand, but, you know, you could pick up a fair amount from that other person. Um, and that's why that communication is absolutely key. Um, you know, make it, a, make it a regular thing to have a conversation about where you are with regards to finances, where you are with regards to budget, where you are with regards to investment strategies, because, you know, those things can build over time. Remember that people that also don't sit in a, I'll use teachers again, they don't sit in the staff room and say nothing. They also talk about, you know, the financial implications of, of where the world is. So, yeah, it's important that, uh, that, that, that information is shared between couples uh, a lot. Um, and, uh, in fact, you know, obviously, um, you know, married couples is one thing, but we're also talking about potentially common law and people like that. That's just as important. Absolutely. Great. So then that takes us on to the third um, topic, which is budgeting. 
Now, budgeting, I find you only get two types of budgets when it comes to a family scenario. You get that engineer who will argue with his wife that for the kid's party that they think will cost 2,000 rand, they need to amortize that over 12 months so that it's part of the monthly budget. And then you'll get that other couple that will look at each other and then look at you and say, yeah, we, we, we've got a budget, but it's, it's sort of rough. You know, we know roughly what we earn. And when we run out of money, we just use the credit card. And those are the two extremes that you get. But today with software, today with um, Excel being so easy, um, I think those days of, you know, walking around um, blissfully ignorant, there's no, there's no time for that, especially when your bank charges can be brought out of control. Little things going through your bank account that you don't know. Who cares if they're only 52 Rand or 12 Rand 50? If you work at times 12, it's significant money. So it's, I think budgeting is, it's, it's almost imperative that it gets done on an ongoing basis by everybody. Yeah, Avi, I mean, there's one thing about having a budget. Uh, there's another thing about having a target. I mean, so the saying goes, <laughs> trying to reach that budget, you know. Um, but you're exactly right. You know, there, there are those, those two trains of thought. Um, you know, I, I found a, a lot of people, it comes down to uh, age and maturity, with all due respect. Um, so kind of through your 20s, you kind of lumber along and a budget's there, but, you you know, you're not really, and I'm generalizing, so please forgive me. But, you know, you go through the 20s and you kind of bumble along and, and, and budgeting is just one of those things that you might do sort of twice a year and you kind of stick to it and, you know, you're having fun and, and it's sort of carrying on. And then, you know, as you move into your 30s and potentially start having children, it becomes a bit more serious. And then when you start having a more serious outlook along life, um, you know, at 35 towards 40-odd where you start really saving for the future and actually trying to put some money away and realizing that, that debt is, is actually hurting you, then you become a lot more sort of prudent in those budgeting exercises. So even those... Uh, fly-by-night and, and happy-go-lucky people that, uh, you know, sort of are there and thereabouts. We do find that at the older age groups, they are potentially looking much closer at, at sort of how much they spend and where they spend. You know, what also people do is that, you know, you, you pick up those little debit orders along the way, you know, the 50 bucks here and there that you, you sort of, ah, that sounded like a good idea at the time and it's, it's no longer, you know, it's no longer re really fitting. So, um, it is important to every now and then just reestablish what exactly you're spending your money on, how you're spending it. And, um, and the best way to do that is, is absolutely. I mean, the software we've got now, you can do a budget on Excel quite easily. In fact, uh, you can download your, uh, most banks will let you download your, your bank statement into an Excel format. And from there, it really becomes very, very simple, um, to actually try and manage to see kind of what you're spending, you know, what's coming in, you know, you know, what's going out and, and where it's going. Um, I, I do sometimes chuckle at people that, uh, that find out sort of six, seven months later that a debit order has been running that they didn't know about. That's something they signed up for that, uh, geez, what am I paying this for? And then all of a sudden, yeah, you know, they end up in a situation where, and then they want their money back for the last seven months because they didn't really, didn't really use the service, you know, but you know, it's one of those things that you need to make sure that you, you're checking that budget on a regular basis. Just make sure that your money's going where it should go. Um, and in part of that budget needs to be an allocation into, into some sort of savings, whether it be retirement fund savings or discretionary savings. And, and within that, whether it's South Africa or offshore, but it is important that, that your savings element does form part of your budget, um, you know, irrespective of what you're trying to save for, because if you're leaving it outside of your budget, you'll find yourself that um, you, you don't actually end up saving at all. A hundred percent. I mean, Daryl, what I found in a lot of people is that um, as their bank account gets older and older and you've got these little gremlins that have crept in, 
they they you know again have this ostrich head in the sand scenario where I don't know what they say, I don't know what it is, it's not really significant, I'll ignore it. And all that does is exacerbate the problem because you tend to ignore more and more and more and more. But if you actually went back and took three months and highlighters and went through and highlighted all the stuff you don't know, call the bank, find out what they are, and you start getting rid of all that stuff, all of a sudden you'll find that there's a lot less going through your account. It's easier to manage. It's easier to bring things under control. And from my experience, just looking at a lot of clients' bank statements, there's just too much going on. It's overwhelming. Um, and there's just so much running off it that, that people just give up. So just to try uh, bring it down. And then just before we get into the more hardcore stuff, I suppose it goes without saying that you have to have joint financial goals. You know, if, if I want to retire um, in at the beach in the next 10 years and my spouse is uh, really wanting to retire in Manhattan in the next five years, we've got a bit of a, a disconnect when it comes to planning. Absolutely. I mean, and ironically, the, the hardcore stuff, as you mentioned, the, that physical planning stuff actually starts with the budget. Because if you're yeah. able to cut all that rubbish uh, that you're actually paying for and actually save something, you will then have some financial goals to save for. So we always believe that step one is the budget exercise is critical because uh, from there you can really you know, get quite streamlined and use the excess cash to then you know, create wealth. I mean, the, it's the best way to create wealth is earn 100 and spend 40. It's a no-brainer. You'll create wealth over time, and that will compound quite nicely. But you know, just getting back to your point there, I mean, I mean uh, joint financial goals is critically important because – um, and it goes along with all the other three points that I've mentioned with regards to honesty, communication, um, because at the end of the day, you want to make sure that um, you're in a situation where um, you're not saving for one thing and going to be disappointed in the end. So, for example, you know, if I'm if I'm saying, OK, in the next five years or so, we want to go on a really nice overseas holiday. We want to make sure that we are, um, you know, you know, have enough money to spend on the on the three week holiday or whatever the case might be. And if that's mine as as potentially sort of the male in the family type of you know in, in investment idea, and uh, you're right, if my wife's been in a situation says, well, look, she's trying to save for a new car, you know, you're kind of pulling in two different directions. Um, at the end of the day, one of us are going to be disappointed in respect of um, you know where we end up with regards to uh, to the goals. So at the end of five years. Um, I may not have my overseas holiday. She may have her car or vice versa. And then, and then the rest of us are going to be bleak. So it is important to communicate about uh, financial goals um, and to make sure that you're both heading in the right, the right direction or the same direction, if anything. Um, and maybe this year or this next three years is an overseas holiday and the three years after it's the car. So there's a compromise that, that one can look at. But it does go deeper than that as well, Ari. I mean, in respect of, um, it is important to understand the, actual asset class allocation that each of you are holding. So traditionally, both both sets of parents are working uh, or both sets of adults are working. You're both contributing to retirement funds. You know, you know some people may have shares that, that they get given by their business, you know, reasonable prices or share options and things like that. Some people may have unit trusts that they bought. And it's very, very important to understand uh, between the two of you as a couple what exactly that investment profile looks like from an asset class allocation, from a geographical allocation. You know, I might think, geez, you know, I'm keeping all my assets in South Africa because I think I think my wife's got some offshore assets. But meantime, she's going, geez, I think I'm going to keep my assets in South Africa. My husband's got offshore assets. At the end of the day, it's critical to sit down and actually understand what products you have in your portfolio in the form of, uh, you know, retirement annuities, endowments, 
Um, uh, and then, of course, what investments you have in the form of unit trusts, shares, um, and whether those are locally or offshore, because you can really start building yourself a decent portfolio if you've got a better understanding uh, of where your money sits um, to make sure that you're taking advantage of the opportunities that, that uh, you know, exist around the world with regards to the different products that you may own. You know, Daryl, it really boils down to time and time again, transparency, communication, and, and honesty, just sitting down and going through the basic fundamentals because it applies to every area in life. And uh, if we don't take care of it in this particular area, it's really going to come back and bite us down the line. <clears throat> so it's really important to have all these things up front. But before we run to the shops, one thing that you did, um, you know, you, you did touch on, and I just want to maybe just go through it again very briefly because I'm getting a few questions about that is the different bank accounts um, and, and bank accounts. Because one thing we don't have in South Africa is a joint bank account. You can't have a Mr. and Mrs. Daryl Coker um, bank account. It's, it's either your account that your wife has access to or the other way around. Um, and that tends to cause a bit of, um, you know, a bit of hysteric sometimes, why is it not in my name? But practically, it actually doesn't make a difference. Am I right? Yeah, look, practically, it's it's actually better to keep um, accounts separate, um, mainly from a, a succession planning perspective, and we'll touch on that right at the end. But, you know, you don't want to have a joint bank account that where potentially, you know, one person passes away and the other person doesn't have access to, to money. So it is important to have, uh, you know, uh, individual bank accounts uh, in that regard. Uh, also, what, what is important there is that um, – you know, there's no real advantage bar potentially saving on bank charges, which, as you've mentioned, can can be quite high. But I mean, I'm assuming if we had that option of double bank or joint bank accounts, that probably doubles, charges double fees anyway. So, but the reality is that um, you know we, we keep it separate. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's there's no real massive advantage to to having a joint account. I mean, lots of people have got sort of main cards and then secondary credit cards or whatever the case might be. That is more than. Uh, efficient to, to actually run your accounts in that kind of way. So there's no real sort of advantage to, to, to having the separate ones, you know, just keep them separate. Sorry, to having the joint ones, just keep them separate. Um, and, um, yeah, just certainly from a succession plan perspective, that makes logical sense. Great. Daryl, I've just got this uh, screen that's popped up, the dreaded screen that's telling us that Zoom's coming to an end. So I'll tell you what we need to do is we let's take a quick ad break. When we come back, I've got a live read. And then let's wrap up with the, the estate planning, which is the, the last part of, of what we need to discuss. And then we'll, we'll take it from there. Craig, take us to the shops. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. This is RV on business. Welcome back to 101.9 Hi FM. And for those of you who are panicking about COVID, which is something that we all are a bit nervous about at the moment. You just need to know that this scheme is there for you. Knowing your COVID status doesn't need to be, a, to be costly or take forever. At Discam Pharmacies, you can reduce the cost and anxiety of waiting for the results with a with their rapid COVID tests. So what do you do? You can book an antigen test, which can determine if a specific virus is present currently, or an antibody test, which in most cases can determine whether if you had the virus or whether you have recently had it in the past. To book an appointment at Discam at a store right near you, dial one number. Dial 0861-117-427. That's 0861-117-427. Discam, a winning mind in a healthy body. Daryl, the bottom line is the, the last 
stop on this journey that we go through our financial planning from when we start until we retire is when we're not here. And um, I don't think there is a single person who can tell us that they've never heard of a nightmare story of when someone's passed away and uh, they left an absolute blooming mess. There's no other way to put it. And my experience is the more educated in a financial sphere, the bigger mess they leave. Sometimes it's overly complicated. Sometimes it's just so a web of intrigue with one will after another will and one disagreement with another one. And then you'll find somebody who maybe speaks with an accent because they come, I don't know, from Spain. They run a business which was mainly a cash business. They leave a one-page will. Their wife, their children know exactly where everything is. It's neat and tidy. Two and a half, three months later, it's all wrapped up. And I often turn around and say, who's the genius in this equation? Simplicity is the genius. How do you feel about that? Yeah, Avi, I mean, that's, uh, that's spot on. Look, sometimes it's not as easy to keep it as simple as, as you can because there's yes. other adding factors. But what is important is just to make sure that you've, you've A, got a plan. So you need to make sure that you've got a will in place, whether it's a joint will for couples uh, or an individual will uh, as, as one would hold. Um, you know, it is important to have that will in place. And it's important, again, as part of that communication before you pass away, to make sure that your spouse knows exactly what you have in the form of assets should you pass away. You know, so that they, they have a good idea of kind of how they're going to be, uh, you know, well off or not well off or whatever the case might be. At the end of the day, they need to understand uh, what is what is help. And then, of course, to take that a step further, and this is important in one's planning because you just don't know when you're going to go, is just to make sure that you've got all the information together, um, you know, whether it be in a file or on a, uh, on a flash drive or whatever the case might be, just to make sure that the person that's left behind um, absolutely understands exactly who to contact for what, um, exactly where to contact them, uh, you know, phone number, email addresses, all that kind of stuff, passwords for banking profiles, all that kind of thing. It's critical that the person left behind, uh, you know, has got all that stuff because it can make that first three to six months of wrapping up the state extremely difficult uh, for the for the remaining spouse and the executor, you know, in, in a situation where, where you need to go start digging for stuff because we know we've kind of all got little bits along the way. I mean, I have a pension-funded work. My wife wants to understand who the pension fund administrators are, you know, how to get hold of them. We assume that because I've got the pension fund, people will just know. But but then it's another two, three people that my wife potentially has to speak at my work uh, to actually get to that person. Whereas if she's just got the person's direct line, you can actually just get there, you know, quite quite a lot quicker. So it takes a lot of angst out uh, of, of your planning to make sure that, you know, you've got all that stuff uh, in order. Filed away, whether it's, like I said, whether it's, you know, in a flash drive or whether it's a formal file or on the computer, whatever the case might be, just make sure that it is potentially maybe even two places so that, you know, some people have got some access to that. Because, you know, wrapping up in a state is, is difficult for everyone. Um, you know, people are going through uh, raw emotions uh, and, and it's difficult to deal with that kind of thing. They're not thinking straight. And then for them to still handle, you know, investment or estate planning uh, information, very, very difficult um, to do at that time. So anything that can make uh, you know, your life easier. Think about it this way. If your partner or one of your family members were to walk away tomorrow and never speak to you again, how would you actually make sure that you wrap up all their stuff? Um, and it's so easy just to say, well, I could have just popped my head over the wall and said, hey, what's the password? You know, but at the end of the day, they're not there. You don't know. Taking that IP with them is, is critical. And um, we just need to make sure we're well prepared for them. Fantastic. 
Dale Coker, advisory partner at Fidel, as always, thank you so much for your time. Just before I let you go, how do people get hold of you? So they can uh, go to our website, citadel.co.za. Um, all my details will be there, email addresses, phone numbers, etc. Um, Daryl C. at Citadel is the email address. Uh, happy for them to pop me a mail, and we can engage that way. Fantastic. Daryl, as always, thanks for coming on, and uh, look after yourself and stay safe. Thanks, you too, Abby. Take care. Thanks for the time. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Craig, thanks for pushing the buttons and being patient with me earlier when emails didn't work. And we'll chat to you next week. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life.